We're continuing our series, uh, The Doors. We've been talking about the doors, the doors of a d- discouragement. We talked about door of depression, uh, adversity. We talked about doors you go through and you get wounded. And today it's the door of doubt. And I am absolutely confident that this topic's relevant to every single person here. Because what I know is in a group this size that some of you have walked through that door of doubt. Some of you have had your world turned upside down and you're living with a situation where doubt's kind of your constant companion. It's right alongside of you all the time. And I also know some of you are not in that season right now. And I always tell people it's just, it's around the corner. It's coming your way. And I know when your world gets rocked, when, when you get knocked for a loop, that it's going to lead you to a season in your life where you ask a lot of questions and um, you begin to have this uh, bout, you might say, with doubt. You begin to face off against it. And um, I know that some of you, maybe you've got family or, or friends, maybe a, a close co-worker that um, you've watched and right now they've opened that door of doubt in, in their life. And what I want to say to you is, you know, God may use you and want to use you as a messenger for them. So doubt kind of comes natural. The fact is, uh, we, we're born with this inquisitive nature. Uh, one of the first words you learn is, why? You know, why? Why? And, and we want to understand that. And the fact is, I think there's a little bit of, um, we've been misguided a little bit, because as a follower of Jesus Christ, we, we've been taught this thing that, like, you're never to doubt, you're never to question, uh, that that's just not uh, Christian. And I want to tell you, the Bible is full of people that were devout, men and women that were godly, that they committed themselves to God, but regularly they found themselves in situations where they questioned their faith and they questioned God and, and they struggled through this stuff. Guy we're going to look at today is in the Old Testament, uh, Aesop. Uh, he wrote some of the chapters of the book of Psalms, and he's going to share with us some of his doubts, some of his struggles, and he's going to be brutally honest with God, and, and it's very refreshing. Scripture says this, I, I pray to you, Lord God, and I beg you to listen. In days filled with trouble, I, I search for you, and at night I tire, tirelessly Lift my hands in prayer. I cannot find comfort. When I think of God, I sigh. And when I meditate, I feel discouraged. He keeps me awake all night. And I'm so worried that I cannot speak. He says, I I think of times gone by, of those years long ago. Each night my mind is flooded with questions. Now hear this. Have you rejected me forever? Won't you be kind again? Is, the end, is this the end of your love? Will your promises no longer stand? Have you forgotten how to be merciful? Has anger taken the place of your compassion? I mean, kind of listen to those questions. You've got to let them kind of marinate and, and set in because there's a common thread in the midst of those. It, it begins to kind of tie together, and that thread is doubt. Doubt. We we all have doubts in our life. You know, have you rejected me? Are your promises, aren't they true anymore? 
You know, have you forgotten how to be merciful? Ouch. Those hurt. Those are, those are tough, brutal questions. And I know that those questions are not uh, politically correct in some churches. I know that. And the fact is, in, in some churches, they, they kind of paint this, it's an unbiblical picture, but they paint a picture that as a Christian, you're never to ask questions. You're never to struggle with, with doubts in your life. And that's one of the things I'm, I'm very proud of, of Faith Fellowship for because we made a commitment as leaders and as a church to say, you know what? It's okay. It's okay to be real. It's okay to struggle. It's okay to ask questions, even those questions that people go, oh, can you ask that? See, I know that God's not threatened by those questions, and I believe his church shouldn't be threatened by those questions. And the fact is, we all struggle with with doubt in our lives. Martin Luther, he said, knowledge and doubt are inseparable. And I love his next line. He says, only God and certain madmen have no doubts. (laughs) And I I think Martin Luther was absolutely right when when he said that. As I was preparing this message on doubt, uh, one of the questions that just kept coming to the surface over and over for me was, why didn't God make this easier? You know, why didn't God, when, when you become a, a Christ follower, uh, why didn't God, like, hand you a blueprint of your life and, and give, give you all the explanations, just jam it full of explanations of why certain things happen? You know, why, do, why doesn't God, when you face a crisis, like send you an email, you know, and, and tell you, explain to you why it's happening, the purposes in it, the, the reasons, uh, what he's doing in your life. I think that'd be really cool to get an email from God saying, here's what's going on. And, and at the very least, I mean, at least God could like set up a, a hotline, you know, 1-800 number. I could call in and you know, maybe talk to an angel or something and get some answers about why I'm going through what I'm going through, that'd be cool. That'd be okay. You want to do it, it's a good idea. You know. But I, I thought a lot through the years as, as I've followed Christ, as I've tried to allow God to, to guide me, that as I've observed people, as I've watched my own life, as I've studied through through God's Word, that Here's what I've concluded, okay? This is my opinion on it. But I think the reason why God doesn't make it easier is because God knows something very strategic about us, that when life is easy, when, when everything makes sense, when it's comfortable, when we've got it all figured out, guess what? We tend to not need God. We tend to forget about God. And that's exactly what Moses, he he was talking to the children of Israel. He had just got done leading them through the desert. And he shares with them these words. And I think they're they're very poignant. He says, when you go into the promised land and and you live in the city you didn't build, and you move into houses you didn't build, and you drink water from wells that you didn't dig, and you eat food from vineyards that you didn't plant, Be careful that you do not forget the Lord. Don't forget God. See, I I am convinced that God is more interested in having a relationship with us. And 
to connect with us in a significant way. And the fact is, when everything's going easy, when life makes sense, when I don't have doubts, my tendency and your tendency, if we'll own it, is to forget God. But when doubts arise, when life starts falling apart, our tendency, this is our tendency, is to look for answers. Because it just we think that makes sense, but God says, you know what? Instead of looking for answers, why don't you look to me? Why don't you look for me? It's our nature. Again, to, we, we want to look for the reasons why, and it's God's nature in the midst of it to offer us a relationship. See, we think that if we're going to deal with our doubts, we need an explanation. And I, I want you to, to understand the whys and connecting the dots and all that stuff isn't what God's going to drive us to. There's a guy in the New Testament, he become very famous, they call him Doubting Thomas. And Thomas struggled because he doubted the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Some of the disciples had seen Jesus after the resurrection. And Thomas, he, he was kind of bold and he said, you know, that's not enough. I'm not going to believe, I'm not going to believe this stuff unless I can see him and touch him myself. The Bible says that a few days later, Jesus appears. That had to be quite a moment for Thomas because Jesus already knew. And Jesus says to him, he says, stop, stop doubting and start believing. In John 20, uh, verse 29, it says, you believe because you have seen me. Jesus says, blessed are those who haven't seen me and believe anyway. In other words, Jesus puts a high premium on a thing called faith. You know, blessed are those who don't have answers, but they choose to trust anyway. Blessed are those whose, in their mind, they're filled with all kinds of doubts, but they choose to, to trust God and to have faith in their life. And I want you to get this. We all have doubts. In fact, turn to your neighbor and say, I've got doubts. Friends, having doubts, having doubts does not make you less of a Christian. It doesn't make you less spiritual. Hear me. It doesn't make you less. But the fact is, that door of doubt, when we go through it in our lives, that door has the potential to give us great spiritual growth. You see, I believe doubt has, has a lot of upsides to it. One of them is doubt drives me to God. When my life gets turned upside down, when I'm facing a crisis, when I don't understand what's happening, my tendency is to look up. It's to seek God. It's to spend a little more time with God, you know, thinking about God, thinking about God's word, talking to God, trying to sort it out. You know, Psalm 77 says, I, I pray to you, Lord God, and I beg you to listen. You ever felt like that? In days filled with trouble, I search for you. Aesop's got, got big troubles. He's struggling with, with doubt. The foundation in his life apparently was cracking up. And he's got questions, and his first response, he turns to God. I'm always encouraging you to, to read, you know, spend time and, 
you know, read Christian books. And as important as reading Christian books are, as important as it is to be in a small group, I've said that throughout this series especially, you know, as important as it is to be regular at church and having times where you can worship and learn and grow, that stuff's important, but the most important, the vital thing is when you're going through all this junk, taking your doubts to God. You know, I believe there are some things that when you get rattled to the core of your being, they only get resolved when you wrestle with those doubts and you wrestle with God. There are no shortcuts. There's no easy formula. There's no way to get around this stuff. The fact is, doubts, doubts drive you to God. Doubts also force you to deal, to deal with the situation, to deal with the difficulty, to deal with all the questions. You know, when I'm cruising in life and everything's going good and it's easy and I'm comfortable, you know what I do? I don't know about you, but me, I tend to live on the surface of life. I tend to just kind of skate by. I don't go very deep. But friends, when I get knocked, when I find myself down for the count, you know, you lose a job, you have a doctor deliver some bad news, a spouse walks, one of your kids spin out, whatever. You know what? I go deep. I go down. I start asking those soul-searching questions, those things that are, that are embedded in my heart. You know, why me? You know, what did I do to deserve this? You know, where are you, God? Where are you in the midst of my struggle? You know, God, what are you trying to teach me right now? And I begin to wrestle with that stuff. And you've got to understand those are important. Those are important questions. And we usually don't deal with them until we get knocked good. And also I've found that doubts, they deepen your faith if you wrestle through them. You know, they, it, it builds your, your confidence in God. It'll, it'll strengthen that stuff. And it changes everything. You know, Three years ago, when um, we started thinking about starting a thing called Faith Fellowship, you know, I, I was going through a tough time. God was kind of redirecting me and, and prompting me about starting the church. And I went through a season where I was kind of like a pinata at a point. And I started going, you know what? What's going on here? And it was a serious season of doubt. You know, I doubted my call at a point. I doubted my abilities. I began to doubt whether it was God or not, whether God even cared in the midst of it. And friends, the more questions I had, I realized I didn't have very many answers. I remember the words of one of my early mentors. It just kept haunting me and staying in my mind because when I was trying to figure out whether I was going to go into ministry as, as uh, I was in high school, and um, just kind of wrestling through all that stuff. And the fact is, he used to say to me, say, Damon, Damon, focus, look at me. You know, he'd make me look at him. And he would say, you know what? God's not going to give you a blueprint. He's not going to lay it all out for you. God's simply going to prompt you. You're going to sense the Holy Spirit working in you. And the question is, God's going to prompt you, and then he's going to wait for you willingly 
and deliberately to take some steps. And if you take the step, then God will prompt you to take another one. And, and basically what he was saying to me is that if you sense God's movement, you sense that in your spirit, it's okay to have doubts in the midst of it, but you have to take a step. And then you see if God confirms that step. Now, I'll tell you, I, w- I wrestled with a lot of doubts about starting this. The what if. What if we start the church? And what if? And I can honestly say, after I took the first step, I haven't doubted a minute. Not a second. Because as you walk through that door, as you take that step, God confirms. But if you don't take the step, God can't confirm it. It's kind of an equation that I've come up with. And that is doubt plus surrender plus trust equals freedom. Doubt plus surrender plus trust equals freedom. When you open the door of doubt, it will normally lead you to surrender. Because to be quite frank, oftentimes you have no other option. God will drive you and allow you to be driven to your knees so that you surrender, so you give it all up. And when you get to a place in your life where you can say, God, I don't understand it. I don't get it. It doesn't make sense. I have all these doubts. This is out of my control. But you know what? I'm going to give it to you, and I'm going to lean on you. And even if you have to add the tagline, because it's the only option I got, it's okay. Because in times of doubt, when you surrender, you learn to trust God. Even when you don't understand it, it's a sequence. It's a movement. As you move from doubt, you surrender. As you surrender to God, you begin to trust God. And friends, that's where you find freedom. That's where you find freedom in life, the freedom to, to not have to be in control anymore, the, the freedom to uh, achieve in your life without feeling the pressure of it. You see, no longer do I have to prove anything to someone or to yourself because when you surrender, here's what happens. You die to yourself. You die to your agenda. You, you give it up. And you surrender that stuff and you put it in God's hands and God can be trusted with it. And what I want to do with our time remaining is look at some practical ways. How do you do that? How do you turn this stuff all over to God? Well, I think the first thing, you've got to remember God's track record here. This is about getting perspective in our lives. It's about stepping back, looking at the big picture. You know, the psalmist writes this. It says, I recall all you've done. I remember your wonderful deeds of long ago. I meditate on your wonderful works. I ponder them because they are true. Now, I don't know that the words jump out, but when when you look at this in the Hebrew, it screams, recall, remember, meditate, ponder. And those are all words about the mind. It's a principle that you've got to grasp and that is memory, memory is a friend, of, a friend of yours. It's a friend of faith. It will build your faith. You know, I could give you testimony in my life. I mean, I've walked with God 30 plus years. And God has been amazing. And God's record of faithfulness it just blows me away. Times when I didn't understand it. Times when I had tremendous doubt. But God, friends, has been amazing. 
in those years. I was on a plane recently. We were flying uh, to uh, Austin. And uh, we were flying at about 30,000 feet, almost 600 miles an hour. 200 plus of us packed in a Mountain Dew can being hurled through the sky. You know, most of the flight, you look out the window, you didn't see anything. It was just clouds. It was just it's kind of interesting. And what I noticed was nobody was, was like panicky. Nobody seemed nervous. Why is that? Well, I think it's because for the most part, we trust the track record of, of the airline. You know, we, we trusted that someone competent had designed and built the plane. We, we trusted that someone had um, inspected it. We trusted that somebody put fuel in it before we took off. We trusted that there were actually pilots in the cockpit, even though we never saw them until the end of the flight. You know, we trusted that the instrument panels were reliable. We trusted that they knew where they were going because we assumed they had been there before. And friends, in life, it is a journey. And I believe you can sit back. And you do not have to be anxious and nervous because God has this tremendous track record. Aesop says, I meditate on your wonderful words. I ponder them because they're true. You know, Paul writes in Romans, he says, For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through endurance and encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. We might have hope. Just getting real practical here. If you are going to go through that door of doubt, I'd encourage you, spend time in God's Word. You need to read God's Word. People go, why is that? Because you need to hear the stories. You need to let them be embedded because the Bible's full of encouragement. It will fill your memory bank. It'll give you faith. It'll give you hope as you move things, move forward in your life. I mean, when I go through tough times, I I think about all the great stories in Scripture that God was able to take two million Jews out of Egypt and deliver them to the promised land. That God was able to knock down the walls around Jericho. That God was able to take a young man named Daniel and, and protect him from a den full of lions. That God delivered Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego from a fiery furnace. That that same God resurrected Jesus Christ from the dead. This is just my humble opinion. That's a track record that tells me God can handle whatever I've got. That's an amazing track record. And it will encourage you and lift you. You also ought to to take time and have personal worship in your life. And what I mean by that is go get a a Christian CD, a worship CD, and just listen to it. You know, maybe in the morning when you're getting dressed uh, and ready for work, maybe as you're traveling to work. But to find just a time where you can allow those songs to, to... fit in, into your heart and your mind, allow those lyric to, to lift you up so that you have those great truths of God's activity in this world ingrained in you. Because friends, when you understand God's track record, 
it changes everything. When you understand that, then I want to suggest to you, you need to trust God. You need to trust God's power, trust God's character in life. Isaiah writes this, he says, To whom will, will you compare me? Or who is my equal? Says the God. And Isaiah says this, he says, I look and I look to heaven. Who created all this? Who is it that brings out the starry hosts in the heavens and calls them each by name because of his great power and mighty strength? No one will miss one of them. Not one of them's gone. He says, look to the heavens. Look to the heavens. I was getting in the hot tub this morning and the stars were out. They were, they're beautiful right now. Just incredible. But to look to the heavens, it'll remind you of God's power. Think about the, the sun. The sun just hangs in the sky. 93 million miles from here. By comparison, in the Milky Way, it's just like an average star. Just, a, just an average star. But it's the exact right distance from this earth. If it were 100 million miles, we'd freeze to death. If it was 80 million miles, well, we'd all be toast. <laughs> the sun's so big, get this, you could put 1.3 million earths in the sun. And the heat's so intense, friends, that it's like a billion nuclear bombs going off every second. The core temperature of the sun is 27 million degrees Fahrenheit. If you can't figure that out, that's hot. <laughs> it's so intense. The heat's so intense. Get this. That the, it is able, in eight minutes, the heat leaves the sun, and it's able to touch your skin. 93 million miles later. Friends, it's a testimony to God's power. It stands as testimony every single day when it sets that I'll be back tomorrow. You can trust God. God's faithful. God's faithful. Let's go a little further out in our galaxy. There's a star called Betelgeuse. Betelgeuse is 427 million or 427 light years away. Um, it is 10,000 times the size of the sun. Get your mind around that one. And light, the speed that it travels at, I mean, to give you a perspective, if, if Betelgeuse was in this galaxy and you were to start where the sun is, and I know if you don't understand how the planets are arranged, this probably doesn't make a lot of sense. But if you were to place it, the center of it, where the sun is, it would stretch all the way to Mars, to the Earth, to Venus, to Mercury, all the way to Jupiter. It would cover every single inch from the sun to Jupiter. That's how big Betelgeuse is. How far away is it? Well, understand, light travels at 186,000 miles per second, all right? Think about this. In one year, 
light travels 5.88 trillion miles. Multiply that by 427, and you got how far away Betelgeuse is. And here's my point. When you really look at the universe, when you begin to absorb what God has created and how big God is and how minutely small you are, when you realize God hung the sun and the stars in the sky, when you realize that even when the world feels like it's out of control, it really isn't, and when you understand that God not only created all of it, but he cares for this vast universe. And when you understand that you are the greatest creation of all creation, I think then you realize that God can take care of you. It embeds itself in your mind and your heart. Aesop, uh, not only does he, he understand that, but he realizes that when he's doubting, what helps him is understanding God's power and God's character. Psalm 13, uh, he picks up and says, God's ways are holy. They are righteous. In other words, God's never evil. God doesn't seek to do you harm, to mess you up. God desires the very best for you in your life. And God will love you and pursue you even when you doubt even when you stumble, even when you fall. You know, I can't begin to tell you how many times I've been afraid in my life, how many times I've doubted, I've been unsure, I've made bad decisions. I've tripped up, I've fallen down. And you know what? God is so amazing because God just keeps loving me and picking me up and using me, and I stand in awe. See, I believe even when you can't see God's hand, You can trust God's heart because God wants the very best for you. The longer I walk with God, the more I come to understand that even when I'm confused, even when I've got doubts, God absolutely can be trusted in the midst of that. God wants the best for you. He's got plans for your life. And so we need to look to the future and celebrate the future. You know, Aesop writes this, it says, You have redeemed your people by your strength. You've redeemed your people by your strength. Now, redeemed is a churchy word. I'll give you this one. And it simply means that you were bought back. For those of you that have given your life to Jesus Christ, it means you've been redeemed. You are being spiritually changed. You are being transformed. You are given eternal life. You are given the promise from God that he wants the very best for you. Jeremiah writes this, Jeremiah 29. says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. I love that verse. God wants the best for me. Jim Collins, in his book, Good to Great, he recounts a fascinating discussion he had with Admiral Jim Stockdale. Now, Stockdale was the highest-ranking officer in the POW camp during the Vietnam War. He was held in what was known as the Hanoi Hilton um, from 1965 to 1973. 
He was tortured more than 20 times. Unimaginable brutality left him crippled in his life. And they asked him, they said, how did you make it? How did you make it? And this man said, I never lost faith in the end of the story. I never doubted that I would get out, that I would prevail in the end, and that I would turn that experience into a defining moment in my life. And after he shared the story, he said, which in retrospect, I would never trade. Hope. Friends, biblical hope is not passively waiting. It's not uh, ignorant denial, you know, burying your head in the sand. It's not wishful thinking. It's not blind optimism. It is squaring off, facing off, going head to head with a thing called doubt and clinging to God's promises anyway in the midst of it. That's biblical hope. You know, what I want to do just real quick here is get really practical with you. And, and, you know, my prayer is the Holy Spirit will just prompt you at whatever point that God will speak to you, that whatever it is you're supposed to take away today. I don't know what it is. You know, for some of you, it may mean that God's saying to you, you need to spend more time in the Word. You need to spend more time reading those, those wonderful stories, becoming familiar with God's activities in the past in the present, that maybe God wants you to understand his incredible track record. You know, for some of you, maybe God prompted you, and it's like, go get a CD, have a personal time of worship. You know, I've been listening to a couple in uh, the recent weeks. One of, one of them's by Jeff Dale. It's called a Worship Collection. Um, and then uh, Chris Tomlin. Uh, live from Austin. Those are great. If you ever see me in the car and I'm like yakking to myself, I'm just singing to God. You know, if it, I love that. I'll pull up and just be singing and look over and go, oh, hi, <laughs> you know. But just allow God to fill your heart. Maybe God's pushing you there, saying, you know, you need to spend more time worshiping. You know, for some of you, maybe, maybe God's prompting you because you've got a friend that's going through a really tough time, a time of doubt right now. You know, I'd encourage you to jump online and, and download the message. Burn it to a CD. Give it to them. Say, hey, it's okay. You know, maybe, maybe you're here, and as I was talking about being redeemed, some of you are going, I don't, I don't think I'm there. You know, that's not my experience. I'm not there yet in, in my life. Well, I challenge you, right where you are right now, just lift a prayer to God. In faith, just simply say something like, God, I don't, I don't know everything, but I know that I'm lost. I know I've messed up. I know Jesus Christ died for me, and I want you in my life. It's that simple. Just say it to God. I'll leave you with one verse. It kind of summarizes what we've talked about here. John 6, um, it's after Jesus had just got done feeding the 5,000 with a few fishes, a few loaves. And the Bible says that the next day, the crowd gathers because they want more food. And Jesus uses that as a teaching moment. He teaches them what his purpose is, that he's going to die for them. And he teaches them what faith in God means, that it's living in relationship with God And when Jesus finishes teaching, 
the Bible says that the people responded and said, this is really difficult teaching. It's, it's hard to accept. In verse 66, it says, many of them left that day and stopped following Jesus. Ooh. Just walked. And Jesus turns to the disciples that were left. And he says this. He says, what about you? Are you, are you going to follow them? Or are you going to stay with me? And I love Peter's response. Verse 68. He says, Lord, to whom would we go? You alone have the words that give eternal life. We believe them and we know that you're the Holy One of God. Friends, I believe when you become a follower of Jesus Christ, there comes a defining moment in your life, a point where you have to say, you know what, I don't understand it all. I'm not sure what you're up to, God. I don't get it. I've got a boatload of doubt in my life. I'm struggling. But God, when I look at your track record, when I comprehend how powerful you are, when I get your character, when I understand that your desire for my life is the very best, that my future is secured in heaven, God, who else can I trust? And friends, when you resolve that in your heart, and in faith, you decide you're going to trust God, and just say, God, I believe. I don't have it figured out. I can't connect all the dots but I trust you, it changes everything. And I know some of you need to just take that step. You just need to say, man, I I can't figure out what's going on in my life right now, but I'm just going to trust you. And you need to understand this. This isn't a one-time thing where, where you have to amp it up and take it up a notch. No, it's something that you have to do on a regular basis. The fact is, we are all going to encounter times of doubt throughout our lives. We're going we're gonna to have that. And you're going to need to revisit some of the stuff we've talked about. You're going to need to recommit yourself. And in fact, if the times of doubt and the crisis and the problems are, are at such a level, you may have to do that every single day for a season. See, here's the, here's the question. We are all, okay, it's a given. We're all going to go through the door of doubt. You will go through this door. But the question is, will you be able to close the door on doubt at some point? But you got to go through it. No way around it. Got to go through it. And it's okay if you take God with you. Let's bow in a word of prayer. Our holy God, God, we praise you. God, we thank you. You have created fearfully and wonderfully. And God, I know there are those here today that, man, they've been rocked. They've been knocked. Some of them are down for the count. God, I just pray that you'd breathe life into them, that you would pull brothers and sisters alongside them. God, they'd understand it's okay to struggle. It's okay to question. 
But most of all, they need to hold tight to you. God, forgive us when we fail. Forgive us when our doubts and our fears paralyze us. But God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would just give us the strength to take a step. Just take one step. It's all you ask. God, I thank you for those seasons of doubt where you've done some of your greatest work. God, I know there are many here that would stand to give testimony to how great that work was. God, we thank you that you love us through the good and through the bad. We give you praise with all we say and do. Amen.